3: everybody. Welcome to Movie Crush. Uh, very special Monday interview edition, everybody. Um Boy, I don't quite know what to say about this one. Uh, Christopher Walken and I just had a conversation about Footloose. I never thought I would say those words uh, in my life. It is very surreal. It was very surreal. I'm kind of wondering what just happened. Um, I'm in a bit of a state of shock right now, but Uh, Here's how this all came together, um, as unlikely as it seems. His publicist, uh, his PR person, is a Stuff You Should Know listener and a movie crush listener. And she um, got in touch with me. I know I I talked about getting someone really big on the show a few weeks ago. uh, And this is who that was. She got in touch with me, said that she was trying to convince him to do this. Um, she didn't think he would, but she was trying to cause he doesn't do a lot of press. He certainly doesn't do podcasts. And, um, I, I tried not to get my hopes up obviously, but, um, as time went on, it looked more and more like the scheduling was going to work out and that he was game. And, uh, uh, in hindsight now, I'm not sure he fully understood the premise of like your favorite movie because she asked for, um, she, she submitted to me a list of films for me to okay, and then he was to pick from those. But I, I couldn't really tell what was going on as far as his his like or dislike of the movie Footloose. Because uh, I was kind of wondering, like, what the hell is Christopher Walken's favorite movie? Um, and I don't think it's loose. I can say that now after we've done this. But uh, he came in, and we sat down, and we talked about a little bit about his career. We had kind of a short... Um, time limit unfortunately but i I did get to peck around a little bit with his career and acting and um, tried to hit on some of his more iconic roles it all happened so fast so everyone i'm i'm telling you i did the best i could i was clearly nervous um but i think it did okay so um here we go everybody believe it or not with christopher walken on footloose (music) Apologies in advance if I seem a little nervous. Um,
4: oh, don't be. It's, it's all right. You know, I I came here from from some a friend's kitchen. You know, my hands would inside of a chicken before I got here. So I, I, you know, it's it's everyday life. Chris, you're getting today right.
3: Well, uh, I mean, I'm a I'm a huge fan. Um, I I appreciate your public for setting this up. You're the biggest um i hate to use the word movie star but uh, biggest movie star i've had in here and it's a very big deal for the show so i just i know you don't do stuff like this so huge huge thanks for taking time out
4: it's okay um it's all right i was told it was a good thing i'll be honest with you i i've not heard the show per se but i'm i'm been promised this is this is a great thing
3: well, <laughs> I hope to do it justice and not waste your time, sir. Uh, I am curious, though. I usually talk to some of the guests about their um, life a little bit growing up, and I know we don't have a a ton of time. You have a hard out today, but um, I know you're from Queens, and I was just curious as as a kid, what was it about movies? Like, when did you when did you know this was something you wanted to do?
4: Pretty early. Well, I, I don't know about movies, but. My mother would take me to see shows, live shows, and I always liked the idea of, of dancing and singing um, f- from an early age. So I, I would say, yeah, I would say five or six years old that I, I was I, – my sights were on, on singing and dancing, yeah.
3: Because I know you're – I mean you try to put a uh, – very famously try and put a dance move – at some point into all your films, which I think is kind of a fun little thing to do.
4: Well, I I don't know that I try it, per se as much as it, it happens. You know, I don't I don't break down the script and find the moment that I'm going to dance or something. It it, it it hits me. I like to do it. It's fun, but you know, there's there's no master plan per se.
3: Well, I know that I watched your uh, Inside the Actors Studio interview with James Lipton and. Uh, he mentioned something about you. One of the first things you do when you get a script is you remove all of the punctuation. That's I, true. I just thought that was interesting.
4: Well, I respect the writer coming from theater, of course, but I don't always agree with the grammar. So, you know, I in order to put words in your own mouth, even if you're religiously following the writer's intent, In the order of the words that they may have created, I'm gonna decide when to pause and finish uh, the words within this paragraph. You know, that's all it is. It's all musical rhythms, really, dialogue. Mm -hmm. So I like to, again, it's the sing, it's the chorus boy in me that um, breaks down a script that way, I guess.
3: Well, you've been in. I think the IMDb count, IMDb count is 135 uh, movies and titles over the years. Huh, that's that's um, I, I I don't I can't imagine that's true. Do you think it's more or less? Le- oh, it can't be that many. Well, I mean it's it's on the internet, and and I think they all check out. Uh, it just seems like you'd love to work.
4: Oh yes. Well, I prefer to cook in the kitchen, but. Yes, of course. I like to work.
3: Yeah. Oh, you are you like a home chef? I don't know if chef.
4: I mean, others have said that. That's fine. I wouldn't say it, but yes, I do. I love I love to uh create in the with food. Yes. I don't think I knew that. That's uh that's pretty cool. There's videos on on um YouTube of me one in particular where I make chicken um that's, it's, it's fun. Yeah.
3: What was that? Uh, what do you mean on YouTube? Was that for like a. Something? Someone
4: shot was over my house and they shot video of me cooking and it ended up on the internet.
3: <laughs> well, that doesn't surprise me, I guess, because I think people would watch Christopher Walken do just about anything. I guess. Well, uh, if we do, if we have a little time before we get into uh, your movie pick, I, I would want, I do want to talk about a few of your more famous roles over the years. I mean, there's so many, but um, The Deer Hunter, obviously, epic award winning film, so intense. Um, I just, and you're such an intense actor. I wonder how you do a film like Deer Hunter and, and, and if that stays with you, something that intense. How do you shake that?
4: It takes time. It does. You can't just go home and um, forget. I get it. <clears throat> it's only a few of the scenes are uh, that stay with you, you know. Um, prisoner war camp, you know, of, of course. But, you know, when we're walking along the Pennsylvania mountains with our rifles, you know, I go home. I'm okay. Yeah, after that.
3: What uh I mean you've worked with some of the greats obviously you're one of the greats yourself but when you share the screen with someone like Robert De Niro in a movie like this what is that uh what's it like working with him?
4: Well, you know, like um uh tennis maybe. You you want you you're only as good as your opponent or better, right? So you want somebody who's going to hit the ball back with the same sort of uh creativity and and uh, uh ability and talent. And so yeah, I I do enjoy working with Bob. He's um he's always a great pro and uh very generous. Um tough to make him laugh, yeah. I no- I noticed. Tough laugh, they call it. He's a tough
3: laugh. Ah. <laughs> uh well I mean you the great Michael Cimino directed that film um, and won Academy Awards and then that was followed up you worked with him again on Heaven's Gate which is I think in retrospect very unfairly derided as you know one of the worst films and I, I've never understood that
4: well it was a moment in time I think it was it was a, a, a payback. You know, this this country, people love to build you up to tear you down. And I think that Michael had such success with Hannah that it was how dare he go off and do something inventive and and original, you know. It's a good movie. Like Heaven's Gay. I think so. It was fun to do. I I, I haven't seen it uh since it came out, so but um Do you see movies generally or that I'm in. uh uh-huh. No. No. I kind of have to be forced. Sometimes people will make me see them, you know, for feedback, what have you. But I, I, whatever I see, is never as good as what I remember doing. So it's an odd experience, you know. They, they, the, the angles that they use in editing, you know, you do the performance. Mm-hmm. You don't think of it as all chopped up, moving from the camera and all that stuff so it's it's always disconcerting
3: now what uh you've never directed is that something that you ever had any interest in no
4: i don't uh no i i'm i don't i don't need that sort of um uh control i uh, i would prefer to play in a sandbox than be in a chair yelling at um people what to do It, it um yeah never interested me
3: ever Right, and the set is The Sandbox.
4: It is, yes. We're in there, we're playing, and, um, you know, with children. So the parent comes by and tells us to do this or that, or go sit in your room, you know. <laughs> it's no wonder that movie stars act like children at times with their antics because it's how we're treated, really. You know, you get an allowance, you get a room to sit in. Mm-hmm. Um they, they feed you. They clothe you. Really, it's no wonder that movie stars act like children.
3: Interesting. I never really thought about it like that. I of, have. It's kind of all, all set up that way, I guess. Uh, I guess for better or for worse, right?
4: Yeah, both for sure. Yes, we've seen, I think.
3: Well, uh, True Romance is a movie that um, I know a lot of my listeners love. Um, It was a big movie for me. Uh, You don't have a big part, but that scene with Dennis Hopper. Oh, yes. Just one of the great movie scenes of all time. Just so incredible. So intense.
4: Well, it was very well written. And um, um, Quentin Tarantino, uh, he writes so good and... It makes it a whole thing easier. And then we had Freedom. wasn't a lot of shots, a lot of setups. So we really got to do the scene from both sides until we were happy. And, yeah, you know, if it's written well, you get out of the way and then add whatever you want. I I, I have fond memories, certainly, of doing that one, yes.
3: Well, and Dennis Hopper, of course, who's, you know, uh, no longer with us. But just such an iconic scene and just these two giants of cinema.
4: Yeah. Well, again, that's what people tell me, so sure.
3: <laughs> I guess it's a little weird to talk about yourself, so.
4: Yeah, I could talk about Dennis. He was great. He was always funny, very funny. Um, he knew a lot of jokes, and uh, he, would, he would add them into the scene sometimes. And uh, I don't know that any made the film, but very funny.
3: Well, and then you went to work um, with Quentin again as director, went in another great cameo. Um, one, one of the great cameos, I think, in cinema history and Pulp Fiction.
4: All the great directors and writers think I should do less, so they put me in small small parts. <laughs> that's not true.
3: <laughs> uh, that's such a great part, though, you know, with, uh, with Butch and The Watch, and I think it's just no one expected it.
4: It was a lot of words. That's what I remember i had a lot of words
3: well I, I don't know if this is something that you like to talk about a lot but your your voice and your persona are are sort of parodied a lot and have been over the years um uh, with with comedians and just there's something about the, the the Christopher Walken thing and i'm just wondering what that's like to to be him and to carry that around and I know you have a sense of humor about it, or or do you?
4: I guess. I mean, I think it's funny most of the time. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if if you're the one who it's happening to, you can really describe what it, what it means. Because most of the time, you know, I don't think about it. So people bring it up and they ask me like this. And this is when it comes to mind. But otherwise, I don't – there's never been a moment that I can remember where I was alone thinking – Oh, they made fun of me.
3: But I think it's not making fun of you, or
4: made fun with
3: me. Yeah,
4: you're right. They most of the time it is loving. I do feel that that um, there's a sense of um, it. It's not. It's that they're, they're not putting me down ever. I didn't mean to suggest, but it is an odd thing. So I mostly enjoy it. I would say.
3: Is it? What do you think it is about
4: you that I can't speak to? I've I've been asked before. I I, I don't know what it is because I'm it, so I have no idea. I uh, most of what's done is a, is an exaggeration, and then it becomes a little cartoony. So you know.
3: Well, I know you haven't you haven't done a lot of comedy over the years, but um, you've had some very famous appearances and notable appearances on Saturday Night Live where I feel like as a, someone who loves that show, it feels like you have a sense of humor about your own persona and that that's where you can kind of play around with it.
4: Oh, I think you have to. You do.
3: Yeah. Is that a fun show for you to do?
4: Oh, I love doing that show. It's been a while. But yes, yes, the writers, they, um, they're they very talented. They were when I did it. And uh, yeah, it's always fun. Costumes, you know, live. Uh there's a certain energy and fear that goes with it, but they got cue cards everywhere, so you really just sort of you <laughs> have to learn how to be in the scene and also read. That's weird. <laughs> that's that's an uncommon experience. You I, I imagine doing a play and there's just a guy with cue cards. It's crazy.
3: I actually saw you. Uh, one of my one of the great memories of my life, sir, is, is seeing you do. Um, the Seagull, uh, Shakespeare in the Park in New York City with sure. Meryl Streep right. and Philip Seymour Hoffman and Kevin Kline. It was sort of a legendary production, and I was—I actually got to see one of those.
4: Yeah, that was a good show. It was fun to do. Great talent, and um, rehearsal was always fun, funny. Those are funny people. I know they may not be considered, but it's a lot of fun. while taking it all very seriously, of course, but the work, not ourselves. And, um, so you saw
3: that. I did. I, I camped out in the park overnight, and, uh,
4: what is that like?
3: You know it's interesting because you're not legally allowed to spend the night in Central Park. So at I think it was at like whenever the park closes, three or four in the morning, the police come and move the line to the sidewalk. and then when day breaks, they move the line back into the park. So it was it, it was fun. It's a big bonding experience and everyone. Did you
4: hide in the park so they couldn't find you or did you move with the cops?
3: I, well, I, I had to keep my place in line. Oh, I see. So I moved with the cops.
4: Camping in the park always was something that intrigued me, but I never did it.
3: <laughs> I don't think – I think that's frowned upon.
4: Make a, a pot of
3: beans, you know, mm-hmm. like a camping. You don't strike me as a camper.
4: Nope.
3: No? I, I – I don't know you, but it just, it would seem strange to see you in the woods by a campfire.
4: (laughs) That would be fun to just surprise someone come up on their campsite. Hello? (laughs) I think that would be, yeah,
3: that would be quite a surprise.
4: What's for supper? That would be fun. I see you're all gathered around the campfire as you are, and I was wondering, what's for supper?
3: (laughs) I think you should totally do that. Yeah, that would that would be that would be pretty great, but someone would ruin it because they would you know pull out their cell phone camera, and it couldn't just be like some kind of fun pure moment.
4: Yeah, that's changed quite a bit the uh, accessibility to a camera. Usually, people would fumble with a real camera, and by the time they were ready, you were gone. <laughs> <laughs> Those were easier days. Now, you know, it's a matter of seconds.
3: Right? Boom! They got yeah. Well, what is your – I know this is sort of a rookie question, but um, what's your favorite thing about acting?
4: Don't be so hard on yourself, first of all. Technically, several of these have been rookie questions, but (laughs) you you needn't worry about it. This is okay. My favorite thing about acting? Yes. Hmm.
3: I don't know. If you have one, I I don't
4: Never thought about it. I guess just – The doing, just the actual moment when you're acting as compared to the other 11 hours of every day when you're sitting on your ass in the trailer doing
3: nothing. Right. Well, it seems like you like to try and have fun on set. So
4: I would prefer to, um, sometimes I'll just sit in a chair. I won't go to the trailer, but um, for as long as possible. But nowadays, it's more difficult. I
3: prefer to lie down. On uh, Between takes or whatever?
4: Well, no, when you have a break. Oh, okay. I would sit in the chair and just, you know, chat up the crew, whatever. And, and now I, if I have, we'll, get, we'll be ready for you in an hour, you know, then I'll go lie down.
3: Well, my friend Stacy actually dressed you on the movie Joe Dirt. And I told her I was doing this. And she says, hello, but I'm sure he doesn't remember me. Which movie? Joe Dirt.
4: I don't remember that one.
3: It was the David Spade you played yeah. david spade's father huh and she, and my friend stacy was in which workout. one is he uh, spade he was on saturday night live actually he was okay. he's a comedian oh
4: all right well like i said i don't remember all of them well uh, i certainly don't remember him i have that same drill at my house
3: Oh, the the cordless drill over there
4: yeah the same one though but with the battery pack and the... Yeah, those are good.
3: I'm not sure why they have that stuff in here. It's very handy. Well, that's... Uh...
4: I don't keep mine on display. Yeah, I'm not sure why it's over there. Maybe it's an award.
3: <laughs> it kind of looks like one, doesn't it? There's a lot of headphones over there if you need any headphones.
4: There are a great deal of headphones and boxes.
3: I'm Ilya Connie, and this is Family Therapy.
2: My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and and work towards it.
3: I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true?
4: That's true. And I'm not offended by that.
0: Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them.
4: Oh, thank God for the limits.
3: Well, uh, I know we don't have a a ton of time, and I get a lot of grief for not jumping into the movie soon enough. Um,
4: Who do you get grief from?
3: Well, just listeners will say, you know, I spent too much time talking about other stuff and then not on the movie. Do they really? Yeah,
4: sometimes. That's very nervy. They write to you and they say, Uh stop talking before you get to the movie?
3: Well, just more talk about the movie pick and less talk about the person's life. I see. But you're an exception. I think everyone. You seem wants
4: curious, to. genuinely curious. I am. It's your show. Mm-hmm. Hey, you should do it then.
3: I mean, we can keep talking about other. No, stuff. I'm
4: good. But in general, I mean.
3: Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, I mean, we can talk. We can get into Footloose, which was your pick.
4: Well, there were a list of movies, and I looked at the list, and I remembered liking Footloose. It'd been a very long time, but I watched it again yesterday, and um, uh oh. Is what, what my first thought was, uh-oh. Why is that? It wasn't as I remembered it. How so? Well, it was a different time.
3: Nineteen- 1984.
4: 1984, you mm-hmm. know. What are we talking about, 35?
3: Yeah, I was just a kid. I was 13. You, I did the math. You were, I think, either 40 or 41.
4: Well, that part I don't remember. I just remember, looked and did the math and said it was 35 years ago. I didn't remember how old I was. I just knew... It had been a very long time since I'd seen this movie. It's ridiculous, this film.
3: Right, but, I mean. I mean, thoroughly ridiculous. But you're a song and dance man, so. Right,
4: I understand that. But, you know, they set up a very serious premise here. Mm -hmm. And parts of the movie are unbelievably dramatic. That's true. And, um, you know, it, it flies in the face of then what the dancing boy does in the movie when he's by himself.
3: Kevin Bacon <laughs> as Wren. Holy
4: cow. I mean, it's wonderfully choreographed. And whoever the real dancer was, hat off. Uh, I know Kevin did some of it, but clearly not most of it. And um, it's uncanny how they put these two movies together, one with choreographed dancing, which is genius, and then this sort of um, small-town... Family drama, right? That um, is very serious. You know, it's all quiet. People are upset. You know, and then the next thing, this kid's dancing like a like a chorus boy. It's it's unbelievable. Well, it's, where did he learn to dance? The character in the film, because it looks like I he studied know. at Juilliard.
3: Yeah, I mean the, the
4: or or Danny Tario's class, right? <laughs> I mean this this kid from chicago has moves beyond i just want to dance yeah which is sort of the premise but then he dances like he'd been like trained professional for 15 years it was crazy
3: yeah i was gonna ask you as a dancer yourself obviously in your your little moves you put in every movie but like a full-on musical like pennies from heaven Like, there's
4: a great there's rehearsal there's a tremendous amount this in the Movie Footloose, this kid is improvising all these dance moves. In the story, he's just dancing. Right. And then uh, knowing what it means to do this, these moves, you don't just dance. No one just dances like that. Right. It doesn't happen. That's true. The side to side, uh-huh. all that, you know, mishagas, as they say. Um, yeah, no, it's it was fun to watch and very... Very well executed, but it made no sense to me at all.
3: Right. Well, uh, Chris Penn is in the film, who I know you worked with, and his uh, brother and at close range.
4: Yes, of course. Great, great, both great.
3: Yeah, and you know, sadly, we lost Chris, but he's just so likable in this movie. As he Willard. really
4: is. It's one of the most charming characters I've ever seen in movies. That I didn't remember how charming he was. Mm-hmm. Unbelievably uh, guileless and um, yeah, just. Uh, I thought his performance was the best in the movie by a long shot Uh, in terms of uh, absorbed into the story. His character brought me in more than anyone else.
3: Well, I read that you were considered for the John Lithgow part. Did you actually read? Is that right? Oh, so you didn't read for that? Read for
4: it? No, I certainly didn't read for it. I don't remember um, if I read the script ever.
3: Uh, That may just be an internet IMDb. It also could be thing. true
4: and I don't remember it's 35 years ago as we said so
3: I don't know. I could see you in that role though I think as a preacher. Sure. Another
4: thing I I I have to say that was enjoyable because it's all most of the story takes place in you know this very small town but specifically in church with a lot of um very serious churchgoers. A lot of the cast was Jewish. I don't know if you p- knew picked up on that but I didn't. There are a lot of Jews in that cast. Yes, Laurie Singer, is she Jewish? Oh yes. Diane Weiss? Yes, I believe so. Was well, certainly possible. Um but uh, it, I went through the cast and I was surprised how many people were Jewish. Not that Jews can't play non-Jews, I don't mean to suggest, but it just felt a little ironic the way show business works, right? right? <laughs> they talk a lot about um race and, and uh, religion and and creed and all that stuff nowadays. But 35 years ago, no one thought twice about, let's get Jews, put them in church. This will be great. <laughs> right.
3: Yeah, I guess that is a little weird looking back. <laughs> um, really- Sarah
4: Jessica Parker, another great Jew.
3: Yeah, she's-, she's Very talented. She's, she's wonderful in, in
4: the movie. But I happen to know she's Jewish.
3: Did you see this movie in 1984? Do you remember?
4: I believe I saw it when it came out, yeah.
3: Okay. Um I think I related to it because I grew up uh, in a religious family and although they didn't forbid dancing or anything like that, um this this sort of took it to the next level, but I I was intrigued by this storyline and like the bad girl Ari uh was her name Ariel? Yes. She uh she was the kind of kind of girl I would have been attracted to as a teenager.
4: The preacher's daughter.
3: Yeah, but who was sort of like, you know, the bad girl,
4: not sort of. There's a scene in the woods when the scene starts. Her pants are undone. Well, that's true. I'm not. I don't mean to say she went all the way, but it. She might have.
3: Well, her 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 guy Chuck was uh, sort of a, a you know trope of a movie bully villain.
4: Right. He was out of school already.
3: I I guess I take it. Yeah, he seemed like he was sort of a graduate. Did you
4: notice that one of the students who was on. The, on the side of um, Ren, Kevin Bacon's character, one of this, oh, he he looked a lot like the this villain we're talking about. There were two characters that actually looked very similar to each other. Oh really? I can't remember the, his the character's name.
3: Anyways. Well, no, that could be confusing in a movie, though.
4: I was confused a few times, and then I realized that the bully he was not in school he had, he must have graduated or maybe he didn't graduate but he's certainly an older guy
3: yeah i mean he he seemed like he was in his 30s but i'm sure he was trying to play 20 right that old trick uh but it is a bit of a sort of a especially for the 80s you know the the jerk boyfriend um and it's kind of clear what's to come
4: yeah the story is very simple but uh there are certain things about the i was Trying to remember why this movie was so successful, um, but you when you watch it, you're you're kind of hooked from the opening credits. They have the collection of dancing feet, one pair at a time.
3: Yeah, it's very famous.
4: And uh, yeah, very uh, very catchy. You know, you you're just you're sort of dialed in. Ooh, what's this? And then bam, we're in a small town in the Bible Belt. Uh, so, anyways, I, I didn't remember that.
3: What, the, the, the opening credit sequence? Right. Yeah, which they actually, um, you know, they remade this film and um, started that remake with that same iconic shot. Different feat, though.
4: They remade this film? Mm-hmm. Why?
3: Well, I mean, <laughs> that's a good question. Why do they remake anything, though, you know? But, I mean, was there...
4: They remake other films, I think, because of... First of all, they've run out of original ideas, clearly, but supply and demand. Ooh, this film was successful. Let's Right. There must be another one.
3: Well, I think I understand sometimes when a movie has dated effects, special effects, that they could make a better looking film. But it was a little weird to remake Footloose, I think.
4: I don't remember any special effects in the film.
3: No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. But they they remade it anyway. And they, they shot it in Atlanta actually where I'm from they Oh,
4: a, is that right? You're mm-hmm. from Atlanta.
3: Mhm. Have you ever been there? They shoot a lot of movies there now. They do. Why? I'm surprised you haven't shot there yet. Maybe I have, I don't know. Well, it's uh
4: a lot of time you have to understand, you know, they you say yes then you get on a plane, you, they go to a city and there's a car waiting and you go to the hotel and you go to work and I don't tend to see too much of any city that I'm working in because, right. uh, you know, it's all about the work.
3: Sure. Yeah, I imagine that's, that's for sure the case. Um, and then, you know, the, I think you're talking about that great farmhouse dance sequence, which is now just part of movie history when he pulls his VW Beetle in, pops in the cassette tape, and just has that, it's like part gymnastic, it's, it's odd. When he's
4: by himself in the warehouse, mm-hmm. it's one of the most absurd things I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, it's enjoyable as hell as a dancer. You know, I'm a hoofer at heart, but yeah, this kid, and he's angry. You know, he's very angry. He's been pushed. I wrote down, I took notes. I wrote down, um, whole town's against him. Uh-huh. I, and you uh, took notes for this? I did. Well, because I wouldn't remember anything is oh. my fear, and I just watched it yesterday. But I, I, uh, I paused. I had my assistant pause, uh, <clears throat> and I was just writing things, notes down. Um, let's see where I wrote where he was. He was. Oh, there's a lot of montages in, in this movie, dear lord.
3: Oh, uh, yeah. I think that was a, a product of the time.
4: Yeah, it was very big on the the montage. The town's against him, and he's very upset, and uh, he goes to the warehouse. Here it is. He's so pent up. That's what happened. He was pent up. He drives to an abandoned warehouse, where he dances to work it all out. Pretty much. Here's the premise. Right. (laughs) He dances all throughout this gigantic warehouse in what seems like seven different sound stages. And it's all choreographed to a level that suggests a singular conclusion. This kid is a professional dancer, and I wrote down "dancer" in all caps. I mean, it's absurd how great of a dancer. And the music is going, and it's a, it it it's a, you know, a, a piece of um, of film dancing. That's did you say it was iconic? Well, I mean— I, I, I agree.
3: It would be. I, I think now. It's but certainly. how do you
4: go from a real small-town story into this— Right. This sort of—I um, don't want to say Bob Fosse, but it's this big, insanely choreographed thing that this—they must have shot that for two weeks.
3: I, I would imagine
4: so. This kid's all over the place. He's going—he's sliding down stairs. That alone, how do you learn to do that? He picked that up in Chicago. There's a whole stair-sliding— uh, section of Chicago where he came from, <laughs> and there's a great there's, and then he, uh, he's, he's caught the girls watching him, the preacher's wife,
3: uh, the daughter, uh, oh, daughter,
4: or, the preacher's daughter, right? Right, right,
3: right. right. She, she just happens to be there, yeah,
4: she knew where he'd be. Mm-hmm. That was the other thing I wrote down. She knew he'd be at the old McGillicuddy warehouse, right? Where else would he go to? Dance off all that pent up anger,
3: right? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, you definitely have to sort of suspend your disbelief a bit.
4: And he wasn't nearly as sweaty as he would have been if he danced (laughs) in seven different areas of a soundstage. that's That's a good point. Warehouse,
3: and it was very gymnastic. I mean, there's like a high bar in there. Oh, there's a lot
4: of tumbling in this film. That was yeah. another note that I made. Uh-huh. People are tumbling for no reason.
3: Right. Well, it's incorporated into the dance. Into the
4: dance. Chris Penn's character does it. His whole move is a
3: tumble. It's uh-huh. like a somersault. That's one of the fun scenes, too, I think, though, where Ren teaches Willard to dance.
4: I, see, to me, I would think that would be the most iconic part of the film.
3: Yeah. I mean, That's how great that was. It was. It was really...
4: Because Chris really played up, I'm no good at this, um, as well as... As absurdly as Kevin Bacon's character could dance, Chris Penn's character could not. I mean, they really did represent two, two extreme opposite. Like Chris Penn's character, at one point I thought, can he even walk? <laughs> right. He's, try- he's going to have trouble walking home, this kid. He can't put one foot in front of the other. My other favorite part was the, t- the track, the, um Chicken. Chick- oh. Chicken on tractors, and I was laughing so hard, my assistant had to stop it. You were laughing. I was laughing. Well, because, because the tractors, what do they go like three miles an hour?
3: Well, <laughs> I remember and seeing they're that. racing at each other in yeah. the movie, and there's
4: there's tension. The cameras cutting, and they're getting closer to each other, and they're they're waving their front.
3: Part Yeah, the bucket.
4: The bucket. They're waving the bucket. Ooh, is he going to hit him in the face with the bucket? Even if he did, it wouldn't hurt that much. He's going three miles an hour. I mean, the whole thing. And then the kid just, oh, I can't take it. And he wins because his shoelace is caught. That was great. I love that. (laughs) It would be ridiculous if he actually stayed in the seat out of bravery, right? Right. And you want the bad guy, the bully, to lose. So that was great that the bully lost. But still... Uh, they they go so slow, those tractors. I don't know how much time you've spent in a tractor.
3: Not much, but I remember when I saw that scene for the first time when I was 13, there was a lot of uh, real tension for me. They at, seemed like they were going faster. At 13. Right.
4: Well, And also the machines are big. Someone could get hurt.
3: Right. But I just wonder if it was a 13-year-old getting fooled.
4: Let me put it this way. If you at 13 was standing on the sidelines of this actually happening, you'd be laughing. (laughs) With those two two tractors racing towards each other at two miles an hour. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. First of all, you'd probably check your watch about three times during
3: it. Right.
4: Are they ever... How long is this going to...
3: Right. It was a little strange to not just put them in cars.
4: But it made sense. You know, they were... It helped... Um, establish the farm land nature of this small town? Where they outlawed dancing?
3: Right. Um, I will have to say, seeing it, this is the first time I've seen this movie since I've had my daughter, and it really touched me with um, the scenes with John Lithgow and Diane Weist, and talking about the daughter, and it's it's kind of like every parent's worst nightmare to lose their children like that. And I thought that was really well done.
4: Yeah, that part of the story was very good. Yeah, they the great actors, you know.
3: And I think that's what might have made the difference in this movie, was really good acting.
4: If a difference was in fact made, I'm not sure you're right about that, but their moments were very believable and and very real, yes.
3: Well, I I think I meant, maybe I, I was clumsy there, but I meant what kept this from being just sort of a pure 80s schlock teen movie was the quality of the cast? Oh, yes,
4: yes. The parents and the acting. Right, yes. I did, I did. Th- well, of course, you're in the hands of great actors in, in John Lithgow and Diane
3: Wiest. Do you oh. know them at all? Sure. I always get the feeling that someone like you knows everybody.
4: Well, we've met, in some cases we've worked together. Um, I don't think John and I have ever worked together, but I've worked with Diane.
3: Well, uh the scene that um, really stood out to me today is something that they probably, I don't know if they would shoot it this way today, is that really violent scene with where the boyfriend, the bad guy, beats up his girlfriend. Oh, yes. It's hard to watch now.
4: Of course. Yeah. No, I mean, it must have been hard to watch then, um, whether it was uh, more prevalent in films back then. It probably was. That was the way you would really establish a bully is that he would – because it's the ultimate cowardice, right, for a man to strike a woman. So,
3: Mm -hmm.
4: you know, it's a little on the nose to me in terms of, ooh, this is a bad guy. How do you know? Well, he hit a woman. You know, that's –
3: I don't think you've ever done that in a movie. That's
4: painfully obvious. I've played sociopaths and psychopaths, so chances are my characters could have hidden, you know, anybody, a child. Lunatics, but, anyways, yes, I do think that you know hitting a woman is is uh, you know it's it's too obvious is what I guess I'm trying to say. Oh, okay. oh, this guy's a coward, you know. Right, sure. So sure. to me, it just seemed kind of cartoony. As much as it, it, it wasn't a a moment in the film that struck me as as it would today. If if this happened in a movie today, yes, you'd be it'd be outrage in the streets, but. In this ridiculous movie, it seemed to, to me like um, uh, on-the-nose fodder a weak writing.
3: The the city council scene kind of comes up next, which is really kind of great. And as a kid, felt very empowering to see another teenager, even though Kevin Bacon seemed like he was super old. I'm not sure how old he, he was. He seemed
4: about 26.
3: <laughs> yeah, he probably was. But... uh They all did, by the way. Yeah. Well, that's what they do, though, right? All the
4: main characters seemed like they were in their mid to late 20s in high school.
3: Well, that's kind of like Ralph Macchio in The Karate Kid. He he was...
4: 42, I think. (laughs) I think he was quite that old. No, I've heard that joke.
3: He was very old. Um, But as a kid, seeing that was very empowering to see these children, and then he pulls the Bible out and pulls that big move...
4: Yeah, I've seen Kevin Bacon do great work as an actor over the years. I don't know that that was the scene that I would put on as an example because uh, just the way it was sort of staged, it seemed sort of ham-fisted. But again, that's looking at it all these years later. I'm sure when it came out, it was particularly impactful to have, as you say, this high school kid make this uh, grand gesture and also not just be uh, a jerk about it, right? Right. Mm-hmm. In their face, screw you, you're the man, but rather have a point of view that uh, that was um, thought-provoking. But uh, as an acting scene now, these years later, it's most of the film, quite frankly, is ham-fisted. But,
3: but this is one of your—I mean, your publicist sent this as a movie that you loved. I mean, you you have love for it, right, or no?
4: Well, I did when I saw it originally. Uh-huh. So my memory of it, when she asked— what, which one of these movies do we want to watch and have you talk about? I said, oh, I remember loving uh, Footloose, and it was probably the dancing, the, the memory of the dancing. Um, I I I don't know that I remembered that much of the ham-fisted acting and ridiculous plot points and uh, transitions. Also, from uh, what do you mean? Well, in the end, they go to the big dance you know and and characters come around and, and him and his wife are in the field, and it's all very loving and beautiful and then let's go to the 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 dance where there's a constant flow of confetti from nowhere <laughs> really inexplicable amount inexplicable amount of confetti that that um Quite frankly, it took me out of the scene a little bit. There was so much of it, but the confetti. But also, they go to the dance. No one is dancing. I thought that was a great scene, great moment where all the kids are along Mm -hmm. the sidelines, as it were, the way kids are. You know, nobody wants to be the first. And then our two heroes, uh, boy and girl, walk to the center and start dancing. And then people start dancing. But first, let's have a one last big fight. Yeah. Between the bully and his friends and Chris Penn, who promised his girl there won't be any fighting tonight. You know, it's again, it's all very sort of ridiculous and ham fisted to me. By well, d- by they had design. to close
3: that loop though, I think. That that, you know that story arc, I think. That
4: Kevin Bacon could his character anyways Could kick anyone's ass, let alone do these flying kick moves?
3: Well, I think more just like – I I just think story-wise. He he
4: basically jumps off of a railway on top, you know, flies through the air
3: Uh because he's
4: a dancer. So his feet are extended in a sort of superhero from the 60s move. Right. Almost Bruce Lee. Uh Uh-huh. Which, you know, there's no backstory to support that move.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I guess, and it was two
4: mean. on five. Yeah, you know, it was. Um, but that was the kind of thing in movies that the you know you you're, you're manipulating the audience, and they go for it, right? I'm sure that moment when you were 13 was spectacular.
3: Mm-hmm. It was. Yeah, and, and how that, did
4: you feel watching it now?
3: Oh, I have a lot of nostalgic fondness for the film. Right, um, it is a little by the numbers. But I do think that— You're
4: incapable of seeing the ridiculous nature of most of this film? Maybe. Oh, that's good. That means it holds up, you know. But probably, like you said, you were 13. So movies I saw when I was 13, which I couldn't possibly remember. But I would think they um, would—you couldn't talk me out of my emotional and nostalgic connection to to that
3: movie. Right. And, I mean, you have a lot of nostalgia just for the old— musicals and the song and dance.
4: Oh yes. Oh absolutely and I'm sure if I watch something from from back then now but there are classics singing in the rain, you know, there's certain films that that um, I can't fathom them being hamfisted. Maybe they are, I don't know.
3: So do you think a movie like Footloose belongs in the pantheon of great Hollywood I don't think the word musicals.
4: Great, I don't think the word great should be used ever when speaking of this film. Other than to attach it to the greatness of the ridiculousness of the movie. It's ridiculous,
3: this film. It's crazy. (laughs) It is. It is in a lot of ways, I guess.
4: Yeah, I don't know what high school you went to. Maybe if it was a performing arts high school, these kids could dance like they danced, (laughs) but not in a small Texas town.
3: Is that where it was? Oh, uh, I think it was. I thought they said Beaumont at one point. Oh, I'm not sure if it's Texas. The next or Next town over
4: was Beaumont, and that's the only Beaumont I know is in Texas.
3: Well, isn't that kind of the it way? It felt m- like Iowa, maybe. It felt like really
4: farmland,
3: and yeah, it could have been Iowa, actually. Uh, I'm just—it's sort of like all musicals, though. The improbability of these big dance numbers just happening.
4: Yeah, maybe. <clears throat> maybe it was the. Um, the sort of small-town feel <clears throat> where these these kids, right, they were told there's no more dancing. And so maybe the premise was while, while this ban is until it's lifted, let's all um, become the greatest dancers that New York has ever seen. <laughs> right. That's what it felt like. They just went right to... All the professional dancers on Broadway and said, How would you like to be in this movie, you'll have to portray high schoolers in the middle of Bum F Egypt Small Town America, right? You, you look like a incredibly talented chorus boy. Come with us, we're doing a film. Never mind. We're gonna dress you like you were going to high school. You're you're seventeen. What's that? I understand you're 24, but for the for our purposes, you're 17, and you're a hick. Let me see you walk like a hick. That's it. That's the walk. Right. And then we'll put you in boots. That'll help. And um, maybe tight jeans. Sure. All right. We need to find 32 more of just like you. And you all attend this non-performing arts high school in near Beaumont, Texas. Where they have a chicken. That's that's what I need you to conjure for me. Again, the film's ridiculous. It makes little to no sense. But it, you're right. People, when I mentioned that I was going to talk about this movie, everyone has incredibly fond memories of the film.
3: Who, everyone. Who did you talk to about coming on this podcast?
4: I didn't. Don't think I mentioned the podcast. Sorry, but people just asked if I could have lunch today. And uh, I said I couldn't. I was had to talk about Footloose.
1: Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels.
4: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Well, I, I do appreciate you coming in. This is, uh, if you have time, I, I have a, a segment at the end I do called Five Questions, if you have a, a, another six or seven minutes.
4: Can I, can I start with one question for you? Sure. So um, now that we've done this, this I assume that that was the show? Just now,
3: yeah. Unless you have more, on no, no.
4: Flip. So uh, my question is, um, people, people listen to this? Yes. Oh, great. Okay, terrific. Do you listen to other podcasts or? Um, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, because it's radio, right? It's like radio.
3: It's like radio, but it's on the internet, sort of on demand radio type shows okay that's the best way to describe it i think
4: on demand huh no i don't think i don't i'm i don't think so i know people who do podcasts because they tell me and they ask if i'll be on the podcast so i do know what they are
3: but have you ever done it before or is this the only time
4: Uh, i think this is it wow that means a lot well, I hope so because I I had I did have a few lunch opportunities. That, um...
3: anyways, you had five questions. I I do. Um, it's how we finish every show. Um, do you remember the first movie that you saw in a movie theater? No. Uh, all right. Number two. Do you remember the first R-rated movie that you ever saw in the theater or at home?
4: In the theater. Hmm. R-rated. Well, um I think when I was a kid, you know, these the rating system was uh was different.
3: Oh yeah, possibly. So
4: the first time I saw a movie where someone made, you know, a big deal out of ooh, this is an Rated movie, I was already in my thirties. And um I was easily allowed entry. And so it felt like a less of a big deal, I guess. But maybe it was um hmm. I don't even know if it would have been R-rated. The Graduate?
3: Uh, I think The Graduate was R-rated for sure. I've talked about this on this show. You did? Mm-hmm. I had a guest pick this one. Okay. Great film. Exceptional
4: film. Yeah. You should You should never consider a double feature of The Graduate and Footloose. <laughs> right.
3: <laughs> it's probably a good call. Uh, will you walk out of a bad movie or do you stick it out?
4: It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, usually by the third reel uh, or 30 minutes in, I'll, um, I'll make that decision. And most of the time, I, I, I will look forward to leaving.
3: Before it's over. Long before it's over,
4: yes. Interesting. Yeah. Yes, because, again, um, there's other things I'd rather be doing. I don't have to go to movies over the years uh, because it was my idea. Someone usually says, "Let's go." So if I do go by myself, uh, I'll. I don't. I don't wait too long to leave.
3: Uh, number four, I try to tailor to the guest. Um, let me see here. Maybe is there a movie that you auditioned for that you really? that you didn't get to be in, that you really, looking back, wish you could have played a certain role? Or do you just sort of move on?
4: You mean something that I wanted?
3: Right, and didn't get.
4: Oh, yes. Yes, sure. But I think it was Kirk Douglas who said, um, if I did all the things that I turned down or didn't get, and I didn't get all the things that i uh wanted and did you know where i would be right where i am so the point i guess is whether i'm remembering it correctly or not the point is uh y- you don't want to spend too much time on the uh the things that got away or the things that didn't go your way right uh because um well mostly because there's nothing you, c- you can do about it so why what are you going to do but also it's wasted energy to think about those things. I, I find, you know, on to the next. That's
3: a good attitude, I think.
4: Well, it'll kill you if you don't.
3: Do you is that advice? I mean, do you ever give advice to young actors?
4: Sure. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll give it if they ask. I won't unsolicited. You know, I've wanted to. i want wanna after a play or something, go up to someone and say, "Hey, kid, uh, you should get out of the business."
3: So you you, you do you, you can't do that to someone though. I've never done it. No, right. it's a fantasy. All right, uh, number five then. Uh, movie going one hundred and one is what I call this, and that is um, I ask my guests what their movie going ritual is like. If you go to a certain theater or sit in a particular area of the theater, if you get oh yes, that's a good stamp. question.
4: I like this one. Um, sure, I get a, a medium popcorn, but sometimes that's too much. Um. No butter, maybe a little extra salt. And uh, I get a um, the smallest drink they have, which these days is too big, um, and Junior Mints. I like Junior Mints uh, because it's a great counterbalance, I think, to the other flavors uh, that you're eating.
3: Yeah, the sweet and salty.
4: And then you get the sweet and savory. Yes, that's right. But mint. I like the mint. And then... Um, where do I sit? Was that part of it?
3: Sure. If if you have a particular movie spot in the theater.
4: I like towards the back. Maybe not the very back row, but second to the back.
3: I imagine you get bothered when you go to the theater, though. Like Christopher Walken oh. is in my movie theater.
4: I mean, it happens, but people are okay. You know, I wear a hat, glasses. Sometimes a funny nose. It's amazing. You change your nose, people don't see you at all.
3: Oh, yeah? Is that the key?
4: I have about seven different noses uh, in the bedroom, and it's always a fun day trying to figure out which one I'm going to wear.
3: Just out and about?
4: Right. Yeah, no, I don't wear a different nose in the kitchen per se. That makes no sense. But if I go out to the store or, um, you know, where I have to go, I'll sometimes, where I live, I don't. People know me. The neighbors, you know, that's no big thing. But if I go into Manhattan for something, I'll have to bring a couple of the noses.
3: Well, that's great. I mean, your publicist is uh, sort of flagging me down. I know you have to run. I really oh, appreciate we have to, this, sir. We go.
4: All right. Yes, we do. We have to go.
3: Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, huge it was a pleasure. For the show, and um means a lot to me personally. So, uh, really, really big. Big moment. I appreciate this.
4: Well, okay. Listen, it was fun. It was easy. Thank you. Um, I'm not terribly happy that I had to watch the film again. I was, would have preferred to have just had the memory of what it was instead of how I feel now. But uh, I did enjoy sharing that, and um, and this was easy. Is it too late to eat? We could go get something. All right. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Sure thanks.
3: All right, everybody, uh, as Christopher Walken would say, wowie, wow, wow, uh, I don't know, I'm not sure what just happened myself, um, like I said in the intro, uh, I hope you enjoyed it, it was very strange, um, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to have a guest like, of his uh, caliber and notoriety on again, and beyond just this fact that he's a big movie star and like ungettable on a podcast, it's Christopher Walken. And it was the most surreal experience I've ever had in my life, sitting down and talking with that man face-to-face. Um, I will say that he was very nice um, before and after, and just a true gentleman and a lovely guy. And so that was that was good to see. Um, but uh, yeah, I hope you guys liked it. Uh, I'm not sure he loved Footloose, but it was fun talking to him about it. And I uh, don't think that anything like this will ever happen again on the show, so enjoy it. I hope you enjoyed this special Monday edition of uh, The Interview, and um, thanks for listening. And boy, until next time, just uh, on a serious note, try to do something great and send feelers out into the worlds, because you never know what's going to come back. You never know when all of a sudden you're going to be sitting across from Christopher Walken. So, So reach for the stars, everybody. That's what I say. Thanks a lot. Movie Crush is produced, engineered, edited, and soundtracked by Noel Brown and Ramsey Yunt at How Stuff Works Studios, Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia.
0: I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novela, which is a fancy way of saying. A podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio, season nine. Love Love at first first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Oh hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast Climbing in Heels is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist.